0: Cheers. Cheers. I'm Kena. I'm Andy. And this is Diplomacy Games, the podcast. The podcast about playing the game diplomacy. Of all things.
1: <laughs> Funny how we kind of got the branding right, you know, uh, what we're all about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> got something right. Yeah, there's not much,
1: not much else we get right, but anyway. Where are we drinking? Uh, we're in the Brisbane Brewing Company which is in West End, which is the first time I think we've gone to West End.
0: It is the first time we've done West End. There's an awful lot here, but it's pretty so tricky for me to get here after work. Yeah, that's why yeah.
1: I thought, seeing you're on holidays, maybe you might be able to mersey on into an alternate destination for once. I've managed it. I mean, it's a pretty funky part of the city, really. Oh, it's a great um, part of yeah. town. So, um, I mean, how do I describe what West End? West End is kind of like, pretty much like any modern city has like its little grungy, hipster type of area. Full of, yeah. you know, people who are too cool. I don't know how they let us in Uh Hipster. Actually, you probably got it you've got the hipster beard. I'm saying to regrow
0: a hipster beard. Yeah. Not as, not as full as yours. I don't know. I don't think I'd... Yeah, I don't think I'd classify as a hipster. I could try. Well, oh, have got the little... Got, yeah, no, the, the, the funny hat. Yeah. Well, that's literally... Yeah. keep eating. And sweat whenever I go outside. I've got say, don't burn your head. That too. Oh, yeah.
1: wow. Get a
0: bit thin up there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Poor fella. <laughs> I'm blessed with genetics on that one, touch with so far. Yeah. Hey,
0: we've got a. Well, it's quite a busy schedule really to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, drinks first. Oh, yeah. I'm drinking um, uh, my shout stout. Mm, how is it? It's a standard opening. Yeah, It's a standard open. Yeah, it's a bounce in the Black Sea. Okay,
1: yeah. so kind of expected. Expected. An expected bounce. It's expected. Okay. A pre arranged bounce. Right, that's okay, cool. And you've got Bulgaria. Yep, got and Bulgaria. What did you do with Smyrna? I uh, just moved into uh, Constantinople. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, so I've got a tropical XPA. How's it? Uh, it's probably a bit too tropical for my taste buds. It's we'll uh, something else very time. floral as an opening. Uh, I think it is. Um, using your analogy, it's a, uh, maybe I maybe I did a DMZ in the Black Sea <laughs> and moved into Romania instead as, as um, Russia or whatever like that, and then Turkey's moved straight into Black Sea. It's like, oh, that's not quite expect. That's a bit unexpected. Not, not not able to be. So I'm able to salvage things, i.e., move to another drink after this one. But um, yeah,
0: probably not the best opening. I should have probably asked for a taster beforehand. I was tempted to get rather than a whole fucking pint. We're all getting around with masks at the Mm -hmm. moment, so it's a bit tricky.
1: Oh, yeah, actually, that's a good point. So, well, we might mention that later on with just general chit-chat and shit. Well, let's go to the interview, because yep. most people probably will just turn off after that and don't bother about any of our crap. Although they should, because they've got a lot of interesting things to say. That's true. Very good point. Yep. So, um, this today's interview was with uh, Diplomacy Legend. Eddie percent Who has been playing the game since the 1960s. Yes. So um, I was really looking forward to this interview, um, to the extent that I made a couple of little dot points around what I wanted to ask, and I literally touched
0: the surface. love to talk to him again, but this is, you know, I got a lot out of this interview too. So how about we throw to that? Yep. People can have a listen. It's probably a lot longer than normal.
1: I think it might end up being like an hour and a quarter, hour, 20 minutes or something.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a long episode. It's like that or we double change?
1: No, no. Let's uh, so, yeah, do this in maybe, two maybe parts. Maybe we will talk about that after the interview, right? Yeah, okay. Go on. Eddie
2: Besant, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you on. Well, it's great to be uh, down there or down under there.
1: Well, thank and you. And greetings
2: from up over here.
1: <laughs> um, you've been in the game for probably too long as far as you're concerned. Um, And there's not many diplomacy players that actually have a Wikipedia entry. Um, According to your Wikipedia entry, you've been in the game since you were 16 years old back in 1965. Um, So unless, of course, yeah, good. Okay. So crowdsourcing has worked on this one. Uh, Did you want to tell us a little bit about how you actually very first got into the game back in the
2: 60s? Well, uh, back then, uh, as is now, I uh, was a war gamer uh, playing the Avalon Hill games, uh, which were principally based on military history. And at the back of the magazine that the company put out called The General, this was Avalon Hill, there was always this couple of lines. It was an opponent's wanted, Ed. And the words uh, diplomacy game, uh, looking for opponents, was being run by a guy by the name of John McCallum out of uh, Medicine Hat Canada. So that's how I first saw the name, the game. However, the origin of it is I was in family therapy at the time uh, because of craziness in uh, my family and my dad was sort of like ahead of his time and thought that, well, we should get some therapy. Uh, And so my family therapist gave me the game for Christmas in 1965 because she felt that this, would, this game would help me get over being introverted and being repressed in my anger and would help me to uh, assimilate better uh, my emotions and uh, dealings with people around me. Uh, she was way in advance of game therapy, I mean, this, you're talking 1965 now, uh, and she was absolutely correct. I, that year had been a pretty horrible year for me. My mom had abandoned me uh, and stolen some stuff from me, including money. Uh, it was a mess. I was with my stepdad, who I call dad, because my father had uh, well, uh, my father had been divorced from my mother when I was four years old, and it was a pretty rocky time. And she was uh, quite correct uh, in saying that. And as she followed up saying, look, in life, people are going to double cross you. People are going to hurt you. You're going to have to learn how to deal with that and how to respond. You're going to learn have to learn how to talk to people and talk to people who have hurt you. Talk to people who may not hurt you. How to deal with the anger and to translate it into something that is effective without tearing yourself up. And for that reason is why I got this game. I immediately took to it and quite frankly, she was absolutely correct. This game was a major psychological change in, in me starting from that time. And this is something that I tell youngsters. Uh, that this game, I grew up in this hobby. This game helped me grow up. Uh, It may be scary for some, but that's quite correct. The idea is that dealing with people, people are complex. And if you are going to learn to play this game well, and even if you play it poorly, I should say, the same basic skills of how do you deal with someone who's just hurt you or double-crossed you? How do you turn that around? How do you get over it if you can't turn it around? What is an appropriate response? What is an inappropriate response? How do you uh, confront a plan or how do you make a plan to deal with the possibilities of being hurt or the possibilities of being double-crossed or the possibility of maybe you, your own actions being perceived as double-crossing someone? All these things come from knowing how to play this game. And I will also say that within the confines of learning diplomacy, youngsters, and by youngsters I mean those under 21, uh, at the time I was the youngest person in the hobby at 16. Uh, But younger people are much better at adjusting their own Persona and their own approach in the areas of diplomacy. The, the game has three basic aspects, tactics, strategy, and diplomacy. Tactics, the relationship of the pieces on the map. Uh, strategy, the relationship of the countries between each other. And then diplomacy, which is the relationship between the players around the board. It is very easy to learn tactics. Tactics. It is more difficult to learn strategy. But for some of us, learning diplomacy is almost impossible. You will will find people who start playing at 50, and by the time they're 70, they're playing the same game. Or they don't change after 30. They don't learn uh, the diplomatic aspects. Kids are great at learning. Kids are great at shaping themselves and picking up on how to adjust their diplomacy. And you will find that in the course of playing with others, that those three categories tactics, very quick to learn strategy, much more difficult, but still learnable. But diplomacy has the smallest variance from your beginning to your end, depending on your age, because your personality, your quirks and everything else generally becomes uh, less flexible. And this is something which uh, I was, from the beginning, I was very fortunate in that I got involved in this game early, uh, because it helped me get out of my shell, and it helped me deal with all those other issues. And that's how I got started.
1: It's terrible that you had to kind of go through what you did to be introduced to the game. Um, But in a way, it's probably, as you pointed out, it, it kind of helped you through that, and and no doubt you've obviously contributed so much to the hobby as as a result of that as well that introduction and i've never i mean i've, never, I've always heard around that idea of, you know, um uh, you know some university professors or high school teachers using the game to kind of start to basically teach the concepts of, you know, realpolitik and and you know how you know World War 1 came about never really ever heard though before about the idea from a um a psychology point of view, um, or you know, of actually using the game to as as a way of of building resilience um, in the way that you've outlined. So, um, are, well? Are you that's aware? the way
2: it was introduced. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm very aware of. And in fact, I've participated in a bunch of the uh, history teaching versions, or as I shouldn't say versions, history teaching exercises, and uh, it can be. Uh, very true. It can be used as that, and it has been used by teachers and whatnot. But it is also uh, less recognized as a interpersonal um, introspection, both of yourself and of others, and of uh, group dynamics or small group dynamics. You know, two or three people in a team trying to stop two or three other people in up in their teams. How do you break a team? How do you form a team? Uh, or how do you make alliances, or whatever? Uh, these are actually more important of the the lessons of the game, rather than its projection of uh, real politics or perceived real politics. Uh, so, I'll give you give a good example. Uh, Kissinger. Uh, Kissinger wrote a book called Diplomacy, where he takes basically the history of European and and other diplomacy from around the 1600s with Richelieu, uh, straight through to the more modern times. It is written almost identically as you would expect a diplomacy player to write it. And he was a diplomacy player. He did play the game. Uh, we never found out how or where, what records, but we know that in the Kennedy administration in the white house, uh, diplomacy was played. And it's been used ever since in U.S. military, various schools, and and in regular public schools, not only here, but also I was down in South Africa uh, a couple of decades ago, and they were introducing diplomacy down there as a tool, not of history, but as a method to help the integration of the schools because they were going through Black kids and white kids uh, getting to school together, and so they were having diplomacy games uh, as a as one of the few group games that people could uh, play together, and they were using it for that purpose, not for the purpose of history, which I found interesting. So, um,
1: yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, it's, I mean, there's you've just touched on so many different things, Eddie, and my mind is just is racing ahead for you know so many other different questions to ask around that. Um, but I, I'm kind of you, I'm, I want to go back to that earlier point that you raised around you know younger players and how they were more open to being able to grow, I suppose, into the. Of, of the three elements you talked about, the, the concept of diplomacy itself and, and working with people and, and working through and negotiating things and getting over being stabbed and all those type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you... Is, is that something which is more a... Um, a, a, a like a... a I don't know the right word. I was going to say a biological, but basically the way that people are actually kind of come together when their learning styles occur and that after a point of time, they're basically set in their their ways. And presumably you've seen this through your gaming experience?
2: Absolutely. Uh, One of the, uh, if you think it's easy to change yourself, then the next time you go into a bookstore, look how many books there are on dieting. It's not easy to change it's not easy to change yourself physically let alone easy to change yourself mentally but who are the people who are already in that process and that is the youngsters youngsters are already doing it and what this game can do if they pursue it and in they have when you grow up you are naturally adjusting yourself to success or to what works or doesn't work or you are sometimes, this game will confront you where, when you are being uh, misbehaving or when you're being too emotional uh, or when you are not using your logic or you're not learning to be polite uh, to get something and how to express anger. Uh, all of that comes out in this game and kids can learn from it because kids are learning all the time normally. And I have seen tremendous changes in people's personalities as kids as they go through this game. Uh, and as the older people, uh, when I say older people, those over their thirties, I mean, I have literally sat down with a couple of players and we had an intervention uh, of the classic psychological case where we sat one of the other players down and three or four of us said, Hey, your behavior is like, you know, add to this world here, you know, you're losing this, 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 and that, and you're doing that. And if this isn't working for you. It's not working for us. It's not good for the hobby and whatnot. And that particular player that we had this big personal intervention in the last one that I took place, uh, he actually turned around and it was basically a psychological, uh, intervention. Uh, and this is important uh, you gotta remember I have a mantra about uh, diplomacy in fact I'm reading a little thing about diplomacy right now And the mantra goes like this all right we play. why do we play games we play games to have fun and make it fun for others second how do we score how do we look at ourselves we look at ourselves we're trying to achieve recognition from our peers in the game of diplomacy Uh, Your rule book victory is 18 centers. And fourth, finally, if you have to win by taking 18 centers, then your diplomacy has failed. And the reason for that is, uh, in my view and my approach to diplomacy, it's not to get 18 centers. It's to get a concession by all the other players that I've done well and that I've won. That is the best to have to force it is second best. But remember the first rule. We play to have fun and make it fun for others. And people who burn out in this, in this game, as well as others, have lost that very first item. They get totally hung up in the competition. They get hung up in having to win and they lose sight of why they're playing in the first place. And that's you know, basics of life. That is something that you can learn from this game. Because if you have a play style, which is totally trash and burn uh, on others, uh, it a, even if you win a few times, it, you begin to destroy your own little circle of, of gamers. And you also then begin to also lose sight of what it is to play a game, and that it is a game. So all of this is, as I said, this is part of the the Eddie Bursan mantra of of diplomacy. Now, let me, I want to circle back on something else that I touched on, uh, if you don't mind me sort of like taking over there. Um, I studied math as in college, and then I quickly became a history and international politics Uh, major, and I actually went into graduate school in a PhD program on international relations. When you talk about diplomacy as a history tool, you have to take into account that it is giving you a certain perspective of the relationships uh, between countries, and that that relationship is very much keyed around the basic ideas of Either, which might call balance of power, or empire building, or various other national entities, with a little bit of a uh, an emphasis on trickery and uh, deceit. Uh, but in fact, the the big thing in diplomacy is actually not trickery and deceit, but is actually trust. And the question is, how do countries develop trust? And how do you, as a player, develop trust? Uh, it's it, that is part of the the trick of the game, but it is also part of the game's reflection of certain aspects of international relations. So the the actual idea of teaching this is the way World War One went. No, that's not exactly the way World War One went. Uh, but these are some of the aspects that could have happened, and this is the kind of practice of what you, uh, hear. And it should make you certain, uh, cynical about certain aspects of history, uh, about what people say their motivations are in terms of, uh, a national motivation. And also what, uh, looking ahead saying, gee, you know, what's in it for them? What's who, who is actually driving this particular foreign policy, uh, Adventure, you know, this position. Why is it so important, uh, Belgium for England? Why is uh, why why are the the Turks so crazy about uh, the Black Sea? You know these are the kind of things that you need to bring out in the diplomacy as a history. Does that make any sense?
1: Yes, yes, it does. Um, oh, good. I'll hold one more person. <laughs> well done I, I don't know if you can kind of hear in the background Somebody's doing some gardening around the area So hopefully it doesn't uh, interfere too much with the interview, Eddie um, c- Can I kind of take you back to when you did start um, in, the, in the 60s? Sure. And, you know, when you were given that board How did you find at the time six other players to be able to play? Because obviously things are a little bit different then as they are now
2: Well, uh, I was living in New York City, and uh, I got the, uh, I opened it up on Christmas, immediately read the rules. Uh, I had known that uh, John McCollum was asking for play-by-mail people, so I immediately wrote to him, saying, I just got this, let me know about the postal hobby, which had only started in 1963. Uh, So that was... The, the first thing. The second thing I did is I went next door to my neighbor, Bob Kamada and said, Hey, I just got this great game. Let me teach you how this game goes. So him and I taught him the game. Uh, and it was just the two of us. And so we started playing around with the two country, one, three countries against each other. And I really, very, very early realized in fact, that week that this, there's no balance here. So I came up with this version called escalation. And that's where you take each player, if there's two of you, you each put one piece on the board anywhere you want, uh, and you go back and forth until you put 12 pieces or eight pieces, whatever the agreed number is. 12 was the common for two. And then you play from that. And in that, you declare your home centers at the end of 401. And they could be any three centers. They could be Portugal, uh, Spain, and uh, Tunis, if you want. And that's, uh, we then played tons and tons and tons of the two of us. Uh, By the end of January of 1966, I had made contact with John McCollum of the New York diplomacy postal hobby. And we had enough players for seven, but we also were all, I was then beginning to starting to play by mail. And we would play uh, at a place called a game what was it called the game house? Yeah, I think it was called the Game House in Manhattan. And we would play uh meet on a Saturday and we would play there. And of course we had some people who would host so we didn't really have a problem getting seven players in the nineteen in in, in the nineteen sixty six in New York City. Uh it was more of a problem of uh who's what facility were you gonna go to. We were lucky in that we had the It was called the chess house. That's what it was called. Not the game house. It was called the chess house. And uh, so we played a lot. But I also started playing by mail. And that was really the hobby, was the by mail, the postal hobby. And I jumped in pretty hard. Uh, I mean, at one point, I think it was on 36 games at once. And I was technically the juvenile delinquent of the hobby. I mean, I literally did things that were well, well, very legal, uh, and it would be pretty outrageous even now. Uh, but, you know, when you're a kid, you, know, you do crazy things.
1: As, as a kid back then, playing that many games, and probably not necessarily uh, earning a lot of um, money at the time, uh, how did you afford the postage?
2: Postage was three cents.
1: Okay, that's postage probably not too bad. <laughs>
2: All right. I mean, uh, I was uh, 16. Let's see. When I had a part-time job, I was a porter at uh, a woman's retail store called learners and I made a dollar 25 an hour. So three cents, Hey, you know, not a problem. Uh, and then when I got, went into college in 67, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I also got into gaming, and in 68, we had strategy and tactics, which I was involved in, and that made made some money. And I also worked as, uh, let's see, I was a Burns guard, uh, which is a night watchman organization in the United States, at what was the building of the World Trade Center. I was there when they were building it. I was the night watchman there. And also, I worked at Diners Club uh, in 69 and '70 in the night shift, uh, where I was uh, doing customer service on VIP accounts. And there's something else that you learned from the diplomacy is being able to, uh, negotiate and talk with people was very important. And it's public speaking was never a problem for me. And part of it was because of the game of diplomacy. When the clock ticks, you got, you got six people you got to talk to, you got to get in their face, you got to boom. Talk to them, figure out what you want to do, and get out. And that is ideal training for someone who wants to be in customer service.
1: Very much so. Um, being in the game for for that period of time, Eddie, and obviously the game, money was you know released in the late fifties.
2: Fifty nine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where do we Where do we currently sit? when it comes to the, um, I'll call it popularity for lack of a better word, but maybe it might be awareness of the game compared to previous decades. Are we down a bit from maybe where things were at one point of time? Were we up from, you know, are we at an all-time high? What's your perspective on that at the moment from, from participating in the game and seeing that involvement over the decades?
2: It depends on what you want to measure. Uh, If you want to measure intensity, the hobby, and that means both by mail, in person, or just playing the game diplomacy, goes through swings, ups and downs, ups and downs. And it's generally regionalized. At least it used to be regionalized. Now, with the advent of the Internet uh, and the play-by-mail, play-by-email, play-by-web, Uh, And now virtual, I think we're on another growth session. So, gamers are gamers. It's just the game changes. Uh, The original hobby was, postal hobby, was created by the confluence of the bridge players and the science fiction uh, fantasy writers. Because the fiction fantasy group, they made what was called zines. They would have little uh video uh not video uh, ditto or mimeograph uh, amateur magazines and the bridge players had uh, a network of multiplaying friends and the two when when the two got together uh in the p- person of john boardman it was natural for him to say hey let's just have a magazine and run the game there and so he started Grouse Stark in 1963. And ultimately, out in uh, Oklahoma, Eric Just, Michael Childers, and Jeff Key started something similar. And the hobby grew that way. And, but the game, then the war gamers came in, which is me, the next, because of the contact with the general. Then the next phase that began going, we started with the diplomacy hobby, started the game convention. And the diplomacy people were very important because if you're going to have a game convention, you needed to be able to sell out the rooms in the hotels. Well, the diplomacy guys were the one group that were the largest portion of travelers because we were the ones who were writing to each other, and once a year or twice a year, the idea of going to a central location we'd get to meet each other, and that's how the DIPCON started, and DIPCONS helped start. Uh, the game conventions. So D and D came, uh, and that was a big wave. And some of the diplomacy players went into it and some diploma- and then they began to play. And indeed they came back. And when they came back, they brought in more of the D and D players. And then you had the magic, the gathering or magic, the disease, uh, card card thing. And that was another big explosion of players. And, Then they also began to come. The number of gamers in the world began to increase. And that's where we are when we hit, when the internet started, we started having diplomacy on the internet first with CompuServe, which was very awkward because everyone was a number. Uh, And then you got into AOL and then the web games started. Uh, And again, other games started the whole German board games, things like Settlers of Catan again had an ex, uh, explosion of more players, more people aware of gaming of adult gaming and the more awareness of adult gaming, it each time there's a, a washback into the diplomacy hobby right now we have what, about 8,000 or 10,000 people playing diplomacy uh, somewhere uh, on the net uh, so that is I think it's it's a good thing. Uh, the people in the face-to-face tournament hobby, and we are a very unique subset of the hobby, uh, we we go up and down. and But you got to remember, we're pretty hardcore, intense people. I mean, I, I have flown all over the world to play in a tournament in a country that I haven't been to before or a place where I haven't seen. And I'm not the only one there, but there aren't that many... If there's a couple of hundred of us, that's uh, uh, of of regulars on the circuit, you might say. Uh, But we probably have close to, what, a thousand uh, face-to-face tournament players at any given time uh, that have participated or are going or coming. And that I don't expect to see grow the face-to-face side because it's so expensive. But now with this virtual stuff and I'm trying to adjust to it myself, Uh, it gives a a lot of impact. So does that answer that question? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, Have you noticed, well, to to what extent players and their approaches to the game have changed over time? Uh, Has it been pretty consistent, or has it been up and down with gaming styles?
2: No, the, the gaming styles have definitely changed because the communication styles have changed. When the hobby first started uh, back in the 60s and early 70s, you were writing letters for the most part. And when you would, the, the way it would work is you had a two-week deadline. So in the United States, that meant that if I'm in New York, I could write someone in California. It would take, when I first started, three days for the letter to get there and then he would, or she would, mostly he, would write, and then he would write back to me, and then I could write to him, and I might not be able to get an answer from him before that. So, when you would write a letter, uh, you would say, this is what I want to do, this is what I think uh, are the issues for it, this is what I think may be the issues against it, uh, that you may have, and these are my answers to it, uh, and that would be that sequence. You get like a four page letter, five page letter, three page letter. Uh, That's very different than uh, the, the Twitter world where you have 140 or 280 characters and people starting somewhere around the nineties, they seem to have forgotten how to write a letter. Uh, Also when the hobby started, the magazines, the players would actually write press releases, which were stories. And, uh, little story, because remember the science fiction side of the, the hobby, and so people would write actual stories of what was going on in the game, and interplay very, and we would write stories about each other, so it was much more of a written uh, communication, whereas as things gone, email uh, people began to shorten their communication techniques and they also then began to get out of the, the concept of people, to people. Uh, even when you were writing letters, you were much more uh, polite. You were much more elegant in terms of what you were saying. You were more aware of what you were saying. Whereas when you got into email, people were sitting at a typewriter, a typing at 80 miles an hour, uh, and they're trying to get, two or three lines and they think that that's all they need. Uh, but that's because they're, uh, used to, to that. And nowadays it's even worse because people are into texting. So the, the concept of developing a plan, developing a relationship is, is very changed in both our society and in our gameplay and our gameplay is reflective of our society. Uh, I'm, I've played by email. I've played by these others, and I went nuts on quite a few cases. Uh, also, you run into culture shock. Uh, I remember when uh, I don't know a couple of twenty years ago or so, uh, and I was playing on some website in in Australia, I think. And uh, I said, "This is ridiculous." I uh, we're not communicating, so I sent the guy here's my phone number. What's your phone number? I'll give you a call. And it freaked him out. He literally complained to the the, uh, uh, games master that he thought I was some kind of stalker uh, trying to get his personal information or something like that. I also had a a good case where I called some guy in Texas who was a fairly well-known email player. And he did not know how to talk on the phone about the game. And he, and I said, you know, what's your problem here? And he said, I have never had a conversation about diplomacy. I've only done it by, you know, text message or, 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 or email. And that is part of the culture shock. Now, one of the things that we're going through right now is a change from the, which we would call the text message modality. Uh, the Twitter concept, uh, this virtual stuff—I've—it's uh, right now only in the voice version, and that's causing uh, a change, I think, in the way people will be playing, and because it's a different way that they will interact with each other. I'm curious to see if the full-on virtual, where you can see the person as you're talking to them, whether what that will be like. Personally, I'm so much attuned to the game in a tournament face to face setting that I, I feel that if I'm only playing by email, I'm losing so much of the fun of the game and of the interaction with the people. Now, when I play by voice, and I just participated in, in two of these so far, I have a problem with that because I can't, I don't see the visual clues uh, in terms of body language and everything else and it's still much more less social and that is something again which I think as a society, as a world society uh, I'm hoping that we'll be transitioning into more interactions, more meaningful interactions uh, with the visual as well as the uh, Verbal. However, well, I, I can yeah. say yeah. that I expect big growth because once we get that people playing by mail with phone and visual, um, that's pretty close to face-to-face without having to spend $1,000 to go fly down to Melbourne.
1: Exactly. Um, that's one thing that I've been waiting to occur within that virtual game space for there to be this... I suppose just someone giving it a go um, as everything always usually starts off of saying, okay, well, we're going to play a virtual game, but we're going to do video as well because, um, you know, what is it, like 80% or more of your communication is, you know, body language and, you know, your facial twitches and things like that. So, um, you know, where your eyes are going. The thing that you'll
2: miss as opposed to uh, -to face-to-face is, One, you won't be able to scan around the room and see who's talking to who. Two, you won't be able to see the expressions on other people's face when they talk to each other. Third, and this is something I'm I'm just writing about some advice to the people going to their first tournament. You won't be able to see their faces and their reactions when the orders are being read. I find that fascinating. In other words, when, where is it being read? I don't look at the map. I, I, I know the map. I know the pieces. All right. I know Army Warsaw to Galicia. All right. I, I know what that looks like. But what I want to know is when, when someone says Army Warsaw to Galicia, I want to know whether the Austrian, what's his reaction on his face? You won't get that in the, uh, in, in the, the way it's being set up now. Until such time as you can get a screen with all seven people at the same time, you can be looking at everyone. But that's something that I'll, I I will miss. You also will will miss um, you know the twitchiness, the the whatever. Uh, there's a couple of guys that I know that are uh, have big tells uh, back in, and even back in the in, in the '60s. It was uh, another big player named John Smike, and whenever he was planning to stab someone, he would wring his hands together and his face would sort of like light up and you'll miss that. All right. It's like when you play with, with little kids, uh, you play with 10 year olds, 12 year olds or 13 year olds when you're teaching or whatever, you could always tell when the kid is talking to an adult. And then if he immediately leaves and goes talk to one of his other friends, all right, gleefully, you know he's planning to stab the adult. And that's something else, uh, the the, the interplay between the generations. I have spent a lot of time uh, teaching kids or teaching youngsters. Uh, It's a soft spot for me because I was the youngest. And when I was in the hobby, uh, I was treated excellently. They treated me as an equal They treated me as an adult. They went, uh, the other people went out of their way to take care of me, including, for instance, picking me up at my house and driving me to Ohio with them to to play uh, at DipCon 2 or other things going on. So we have to, I always say, take care of the kids. I was, um, and i don't know actually, if we're going to get into that individual visual side because of all this fear of predation and you know sickness
0: oh i i, I was yeah that aside I was, I was going to ask you um you know some advice or hints you know i' noticed i mean you've won lots of tournaments um and advice as to how to do well or and that sort of stuff and i think you've just kind of gone over some of your major hints there like you know watch for players body language and you know watch what they're doing not so much as what they're saying as well and that that's all very um lots of heads up advice right there practical advice for diplomacy hobbyists. Um,
2: yes. A lot of it also depends on what your goal is in the game. One of the most important things to do is to find out what other what motivates the other players especially, especially when you're trying to figure out a strategy and a diplomatic pattern, you really want to know in your brain, what will this person do when they realize that they cannot win? Are they motivated by the scoring system? Are they motivated by revenge? Are they motivated by loyalty? Uh, Are they... Uh, do they really care about the game? Will they pay attention? Will they make more mistakes? Will they give up? Uh, or will they dig in? Uh, will they, uh, never surrender, never give up, you know, kind of guy. Or, uh, what is, what is their motivation? For me, the game is a social psychological interactions, uh, all games, as, as far as I'm saying, I approach all games as diplomacy games uh, rather than, you know, this is the rule book. Again, remember the first mantra, we play games to have fun and make it fun for others. Uh, and if you've got a guy who's not going to be fun, uh, you know, maybe you should eliminate him. If you have a guy who's going to hang in there and he's going to have a good time and make it a good time, even if he has only one piece, I'll keep him in the game. It also means that you have to have a plan to, uh, I'm going to say make use of, but it's actually to honor the other, the minor players. How do you uh, deal with them? So if I've got a major power and I've got a couple of uh, minor guys, at two, three centers, or even one center, I will always make sure that I tell them, um look, try to talk to Germany and find out if, if he really believes what the Austrians are saying. or f- talk in other words, give them little diplomatic assignments. And this way, you keep your team together. you keep uh, everyone feels like they're being listened to, and everyone feels like they have a part. Some of the worst things and the easiest way to break an, uh, an alliance is when one person is overbearing, And you go to the other guy and saying, look, you're, you're not really playing. You're just putting your orders in. How about we do this together? How about we do that together? Uh, and this way you, you can emphasize the fun part. And if people realize that it will be more fun to play with you than it is to just be a toady for someone else. Well, that's you'll a number one, keep that person in the hobby. Number two, you have a better chance of him breaking the stalemate line or breaking the other side just for kicks and chuckles.
1: I love all that, um, Eddie. A number of your stories at the moment, I've been having a terrible tell if you kind of had video going. It's like I've got this beaming smile as you're telling some of these stories. Um, When it comes to to fun, I'd like to reflect on something that you are well known on also within the hobby, and that is as the... um, I'll call it the creator of the Lepanto opening. Um, oh yeah! Could you kind of put us back? You know, the very first time that you you actually you know came up with this particular opening, how did you how did you make that sell um, to Austria, okay. or or if you were you know the, how did that go?
2: You remember? I got this game in Christmas of nineteen sixty five, and for the next week or two. Uh, I played with my friend Bob Kamater, and we played multiple countries against each other. Uh, one of the country combinations uh, is I, we had it was France, Italy and Austria against Turkey, Russia and England with Germany out And so me so this is maybe like four days after I got this game. That's when I came up with the Lepanto opening all right, because Austria, I was playing Austria in, in Italy, and it says, oh, this is a natural thing to do. So, at least I thought it was natural. Uh, so then I forgot, I didn't forget about it. We just didn't use it. And in, I want to say, let's see, the 60, around April or May of 1966, we went down to Brooklyn to come and I, uh, and we played a game in... Uh, Brooklyn with Gene Prosnitz. Gene Prosnitz was a, a lawyer and he was also one of the heavy hitter in the hobby, in the postal hobby. He was Turkey. Kamada was Austria. I was Italy. So I told him and I said, Hey, you know, why don't we try this uh, funny uh, thing that I came up with and we did it and it totally blew his mind. It was the first time it was done uh, in a seven player game. And it worked great. Now, the, the the basis of the Lepanto, which has been overused, is basically you need to make sure that the uh, the Austrians absolutely can't stand the Turks. And that the French and Germans are involved elsewhere. And that the Austrians aren't going to turn on you. So ideally you want a the the Russians to be hostile to the Turks, but definitely not attacking the Austrians so that you can swing around and do this. And so many people have just taken the Lepanto and they've totally forgot about the rest of the dynamics. So they'll go charging out there and then all of a sudden uh, Austria will go grab uh, Venice or, France and Germany will go to Piedmont and Tyrolia in 1902. And again, Venice is, is cooked. So uh, it's also one of the funnier things is, I mean, I've been playing this game 55 years. I've, I have only, in all the tournaments that I've played, and I've played Italy a lot, I have only twice actually done a Lepanto where I wound up in Syria. So many, when, when I've played Italy, I'll sometimes say, yeah, you know, he's got to cover Syria. I'll go to Smyrna or this isn't going to work. So I will wind up in Albania or something else will happen. Only twice have I ever actually gotten to, uh, Syria. Uh, and I will say in one of them, the first one that actually succeeded, I won the game outright as Italy and the original fleet Naples, which was, in the Eastern Med, wound up in Norway in like 1909. Uh, it was a fun game, uh, but Lepanto is, is one of the tools, and it is something which a lot of people didn't realize when they played Italy that there was a possibility of really working with Austria against the Turks. It was either you worked with Austria uh, or you and you went west, Where you worked with Austria and you went north to hit Germany. The idea of making an early offensive against Turkey was not part of the concept, and that's something that he introduced. And Calhammer, the inventor of the game, he was very, very uh, grateful for it because he felt that there was a major flaw in the game was Italy in terms of what could Italy do because it's the only place where Italy... Italy has a center boarding on another home center with Trieste. So the Lepanto was a, uh, a a change in the mentality of the strategic capabilities of the game itself. Uh, but more importantly, it was the beginning when we, it was actually like a secret opening in New York city for like three years. Uh, before it got uh, finally done and uh, finally out in the open and it did when I, I wrote the article and passed it around and then I think it even I wrote it and then another, it took a year before it was actually published in Your archives or I forget where the hell it was published first but it was also the start of the tactical writing of various openings in the game and more of a systemic approach to teaching other people how to play. Uh, one of the things that I was very fortunate of is, and and I guess the social pli- side applies. When we would play the games, some of the the most fun part was like after the game was over, people would go uh, to. Uh, the coffee shops or the bars or wherever, or downstairs and take about a couple of Cokes and Pepsi's. And we would talk about the game and we would go over what were the good moves? What were the bad moves? Yeah, you should have done this. I could have done that. So the Lepanto was the article was the beginning of, uh, a, a, what would be a, eventually a flood of articles on how to play the game. And this, is something which is a uh, a more important contribution.
1: So, so we'll we'll. Uh, um, definitely. In fact, add if you go here. to the
2: Wikipedia page, if you go to the Wikipedia page of, for me, you'll see a list of about I don't know thirty forty articles that are written about all different things. It's not a complete list, but it's yep. it's pretty pretty good.
1: So so we will create a, a link in our show notes, Eddie, through to uh, to that um, that paper you originally wrote. Uh, I've got. Two quick follow-up questions, just on the Lepanto that you've touched on. Um, The first one is obviously it it takes its inspiration from the Battle of Lepanto, you know, between the you know the Ottomans and the Holy League at the time, Um, you know, which was obviously being you know run by by the Italians. Did where did you get the inspiration to kind of name that opening on that uh, on that particular battle?
2: Well, you remember I'm a history major, but there's the date of the Lepanto was October 7th, I think 1585, 15, October 7th. That's my birthday. It's the only battle that, a famous battle that took place on my birthday. Uh, and so I knew about the Battle of Lepanto, and it was basically Italy and France, uh, particularly Venice um, on the Italian side, uh, defeating the, uh, the Turks at sea. And so, since this was a sea invasion, a sea movement, uh, that I thought was, uh, the way to defeat the Turkish fleet coming out to Eugene. Uh, so I said, Hey, this would be a great name. And so I named it, uh, uh quite a few of, uh, the other names, for instance, the Koningratz freak out that I named was, uh, was a big, defeat of uh, Austria by the uh, by the Prussians so the Germans uh, in 1867 I think yeah so the Coingrat's freakout was where the Germans came down uh, I also did one about uh, uh, the Caesar opening for, for for Italy where the Italians go through southern France thinking of uh, the, the, uh, Caesar's invasion of Gaul and whatnot so these are the, I don't know if you know history, you have a little bit of a, a background to name things. So, Fantastic. yeah, the real secret to Lepanto was it's my birthday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you you also mentioned that, um, you know, this is one thing that Calhammer went, okay, this is great that this is, um, you know, making Italy stronger. Um, did you have mm-hmm. much interactions with him over when he was oh, with yeah. us? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh,
0: Cal Hammer and I,
2: uh, let's see. We met first in, I think, New Jersey. There was a group called the New Jersey Lafayette game club. Um, and he would be in the area and we played face to face. Um, also we communicated, uh, because I was a major player, uh, and he played, He played a few games by mail, and we wound up in the same games together, as well as some of the early conventions uh, he would go to. For example, let's see, uh, Dipcon 2 was 1969. Dipcon 3 was in uh, Oklahoma. 4 was out in uh, San Diego with Puri. 5 was in Chicago, and I played with him in Chicago. Right. And then also we played uh, a couple other times at various tournaments. Uh, and so when we him and I also used to write about I would write back and forth about the rules. Uh, certain aspects of we disagreed on or we agreed on to say, hey, why don't you try this? Um, uh, there were some subtle rewrites of the rules, uh, and the the one I had the most input it was just kind of a funny one was the, I think it was the 1999 or 2000 version that was done by Avalon Hill. Uh, In which case, uh, this is the one with the the metal pieces, the the battleship and the cannons. By the way, uh, in the the original version, (laughs) in the original version, he wanted, uh, in the 1959, he wanted those battleships for the Monopoly pieces for the fleets and he wanted a cannon for the armies. And what he wanted was the two-wheel cannon, uh, like it was called the French seventy-five, uh, and the he had gotten to the point where he was ordering, and the company went out of business that was making the cannons, and that's why he reverted to the blocks. And in fact, in the in, in his actual version, the nineteen fifty-nine <laughs> version that he printed, uh, you had a. Uh, a a block of uh, pieces, which were the wood blocks, but they were all numbered so that you would not write fleet France, a uh, fleet Picardy. You would, you could write one, to Picardy, two to Picardy, three to this, four to that. So you didn't have the name. And, and I still have, I have two sets of those pieces, uh, and the original map, uh, signed by him, uh, courtesy of Jeff key. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, by the way, and also in the original set, you had 10 armies and 10 fleets. Everything after that, it's been eight and eight. So so I got sort of like a, a side. So where were we talk? what were we talking about on that?
1: <laughs> I was just, I think I asked you just to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, if, if um your experience with... Oh, Calhammer. Your- yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, Kall- Kallhammer, Kallhammer. One of the things about game designers, and I've been involved in war game design, is many of the designers are actually bad players or poor players, or sometimes if they achieve, they're mediocre players. Cal Hammer was one of these guys that was a, invariable dot stealer. He could not resist an open center uh, if his life depended on it. Uh, if it was there, his, his basic attitude, well, you're not using it, so I'll use it. Um, he had no restraint. Uh, He also was not an aggressive talker. Uh, He would stand at the table and uh, and everyone would scatter. Typically in the first minute, everyone scatters. And there's seven people and that means there's three pairs of two. He was always the guy left alone at the table. Uh, And this was something that was his he did not realize that there were stalemate lines on the, on the game. That was also a major shock to him.
1: That's amazing. In fact,
2: it was somewhat of a dis- It was a disappointment, uh, because he felt, uh, that, uh, the games would be fluid and always would be fluid. He didn't realize that there would be a physical, uh, stalemate, a tactical stalemate. He, always anticipated that the game would end in a draw including all survivors because it would be a strategic stalemate. In other words, you get to positions where however you change whatever happened nobody could win and no one would let anyone else win and therefore you would have a draw.
0: That's fascinating. Um...
2: It's also, by the way, uh, when you talk about game culture, it's also a major reflection of of the American culture. Um, And it's best described in the early parts of the hobby, draw base systems for something which came out of the U S and the rule book actually says that if uh, a game, the game ends when either someone gets 18 or you agree to end the game and Drawers include all survivors. Well, the Europeans go crazy with this. The Europeans were more balance of power uh, oriented, and they were more supply center oriented in, in the beginnings of the game culture reflection. So for an American American hobby, if you had two centers and you were sitting on the stalemate one, well, that was... You, you participated in a four-way draw, and that didn't matter whether you had two centers or you had uh, ten centers. Uh, and that's the way the postal hobby also operated. It was based on, you know, draw-based. And, in fact, the Calhamber point count said that you got one point for winning the game, uh, a half a point for a two-way draw, you know, 0.5, 0.3 for three-way, et cetera. Uh, and it was only as the tournament systems began that the idea of how do you score something so that to reflect whether someone has 10 centers or two. And it was the big debate in the city, uh, in the city, in, in the hobby, saying that there was no difference. Drawers included all survivors and all survivors share equally. Well, the Europeans on the other hand uh, were very much, point center point, uh, in interested. And so you had balance of power being played in Europe and draw based in, in the U S and in fact, in the U S part of the approach was very different in the way people played uh, in the U S when the hobby started, if I had eight centers and you had, uh, 10, my response was, okay, I've got to get two more. In the European response, if you have eight and the other guy has ten, their response is, we got to take two away from the guy who has ten. Now, that is a game culture reflection of the societies. And this was something which I was very much aware of, and I was fast- I'm still fascinated by it. You still have this kind of dichotomy and approach to gaming, which is reflected in diplomacy. In other words, are you, when you see an imbalance, do you try to take away from the leaders or do you try to build up yourself? And in the European hobby, for the most part, they are taker aways. And that is what's called balance of power mentality. Uh, and this is something that you should try to think in your brain when you're playing internationally or even when you're playing with your friends. Where is this person's head at in terms of your relationship? If you have someone who is into balance of power type points, he's going to become tremendously unstable if you're more than two centers ahead of him. Whereas if the guy is into the if you're into the draw base, and he's more focused on being on the winning side, uh, then whether you're two or three or four ahead, it doesn't matter, or it has less import, and you're more stable. So understanding the person's game culture and his approach uh, and the way he looks at the world and the way he looks at inequities is something which, as part of the social play, things that you should try to figure out. So does that make sense? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very conscious of the time, Eddie. Um, I think we've been speaking for about an hour or so now, which is. Um, I
2: don't care. <laughs> you don't care. You're paying for the call. Ten it's ten. your it's your dime. <laughs>
1: huh? uh, are you happy to kind of continue for a little bit longer?
2: Sure, sure. Oh, I'm in awesome. politics. I can talk forever. <laughs> well, let's let's talk
1: politics then. So. Um, Putting aside the craziness that uh, has happened in the last four years, and particularly the you know the last few mu- couple of months, um, you, I'm you obviously the
2: last forty eight hours. <laughs> yes, particularly
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> as of the recording. Um, look, I mean, you, you, you've been involved in in local government politics within the city of Concord, um, and at one stage right. was as was the mayor of the city. Um, yep, how. What what skills did diplomacy teach you, or were you able to employ um, more effectively? I think um, in being able to to perform that role in politics that uh, other politicians may not kind of call upon.
2: Okay, um, first, just about every classic one liner in that I've heard in diplomacy that became a classic one liner I have heard in real politics. Things like, Well, it was true at the time I told you. Or, gee, you well, know things changed and I mean I just wasn't able to get back to you. Uh or yeah, you know, it was a good idea, but you know, I think this is a better idea. Or um I heard what you said but I didn't believe you. All right. So these are kind of things that uh yeah, you, you, you learn in politics, and then and, and, and you learn from diplomacy. Uh, I would say that the biggest skills that you learn from diplomacy that I've brought into and been aware of in politics is, number one, listening to everybody, including your opponents and sometimes what you might call your enemies. Uh, the old expression from diplomacy is that if you kill your enemies, who are you going to turn to? when your friends double cross you, you know, that's very real. Uh, I walked into, I was the anti status quo guy, uh, in local politics. When I became, when I got elected, I ran against the establishment. And in fact, I was introduced on the day I was sworn in as the gadfly which is a negative term over here. I don't know what it is down in uh, how you look at it in Australia. A gadfly is generally considered to be a person who is a pain in the ass. Uh, and I was introduced as that by the then current mayor. Five years later, he endorsed me for the position, and in fact, now he is still one of my biggest supporters. Uh, I have been called the Antichrist from the dais by a, uh, a, a minister who was on the city council. Three years later, he's now supporting me. Uh, diplomacy gave me the ability to take in the blows and not keep those wounds open and how to work around it and how to bring people back over to you. How to divert people from the negative side to positive sides, how to, let's, all right, we're going to fight over here, but we can do this together, uh, and not take it personal, even though the attacks were very, very personal. Remember when I talked about 55 years ago, why the, uh, my, my family therapist gave me this is because I was being double-crossed by my family and, and having a hard time there psychologically, well, she was right. And one of the things you learn in politics from diplomacy is, again, don't take it personal. Uh, always be able to come back. Uh, there's Learn how to make use of pain. In other words, uh, when, you, when you want to uh, you know, jam it to someone for hurting you, make sure you understand what are you going to get out of doing that? I was, there was a big hit piece done by the police union against me, uh, when I ran in 2012, major, major hit piece. Uh, and I won and the cops were still, even though I set up a meeting afterwards, uh, they said, well, you deserved it, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they, they, they jammed it into my nose. And so it took seven years. Seven years before they apologized and they're now uh, coming around and and we're uh, on good terms. Uh, Again, if I had not had the experience in diplomacy of having been double crossed by Austria and then at the end of the game being able to rely on Austria to hold the front in front of Munich, uh, it would have been you can't. You can't go on a forever holy war. You can't go on. There's a purpose. If you're going to have a grudge, you got to make sure you get something out of the grudge. Uh, and that kind of planning and that kind of thinking is exactly what you need. One of our major problems we have in the United States now is we have been so divisive, uh, as we have seen with the Trumpers and and the left and the right having been going further and further apart, becoming more ideological. We are, we are forgetting about, or we're not forgetting, we have weakened the ability to sit down with each other and say, okay, we disagree over here, but let's go over here. Uh, for example, in the last, I'm involved with the Democratic Party uh, in California. I'm a delegate to the state party. Uh, I'm on the central committee for my county and all that. I am the only one in the last 20 years that has set up a joint resolution between the Republicans and the Democrats on an issue that dealt with the environment and had a joint press conference where we were together uh, signing the joint resolution against the, the local power company. I put that together. I was able to put that together because diplomacy uh, taught me that, Hey, if you know, you can maybe fighting over uh, Belgium over there, but nobody wants, uh, no one wants the Russians in Denmark. So how about, you know, Germany and I can argue over Belgium, but let's just make sure the Russians don't get Denmark. Uh, And this is the kind of thing that you learn and you practice and our country, my country, is having a hard time uh, because we are becoming so polarized and not looking forward to being able to work through things so that what happens is every inch that you give is considered a flip-flop or a surrender or whatever. And this is a danger, and this is something that I have been fighting against uh, in fact, I, I, when I was mayor, it was my theme. The name of my city is Concord, uh, and as in concordance, uh, we were not named after the place of Massachusetts, which was the first American victory over the British in the Revolutionary War, nor were we named after the Great. We were named Concord because we had to come in concordance with one another uh, from the, the tri- trials and tribulations when the city was founded after a nearby town was destroyed by an earthquake, and the name was given to us by the people, and not by the developer who wanted to call it total Santos. Uh, so I used the term to live in concordance, and Concord was my my theme for the entire time I was mayor, and that's what we need. And, and that's when you think about it in diplomacy. The best times in diplomacy are really not whether you win or lose, but the, the when you get together after the game and you're talking to the players and you're having you know some for having a beer, so others like me having tea and coffee and 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 uh, some banana bread uh, while everyone else gets drunk, uh, that's the important part. that's the fun part. Remember the mantra. Why do we play games to have fun and make it fun for others? Why are we in politics? We're in politics to make the world better and to have some fun, probably while we do it and get some satisfaction as we do it. And people have forgotten that in politics. There's too many people are in politics because of, uh, their ego, uh, their drive for power, uh, not that many are into politics for money, I can tell you that much. I mean, people always say that, but I haven't seen that. Uh, even our current lunatic, uh, who has, what, 12 days left, thank God, or thank the divine, whoever you are, um, that uh, you know, it's it's power, ego, uh, control issues, uh, Ultimately, the real reasons that you get in, I got involved, and I believe nearly all the ones, all the people that are on the local level, and I disagree with a lot of them. I mean, we clash heads, you know, quite, quite intensely. Uh, but their motivation is, but they want things to be better as they see it. I want to, and I see it differently. But I also want things to get better. I've got a, a guy that uh, named Ron, Ron Leone. Uh, who him and I were on the council together for eight years. Uh, Ron is pretty much the opposite of me on politically on just about everything. However, uh, in fact, we often joke that uh, we would easily run each other over uh, with a Sherman tank and then dance a jig on the bloodstained stained pa- pa- pavement. But for the last ten years, basically every Sunday we play poker together. Uh, if he calls me up and says, Eddie, uh, my daughter's arriving at midnight at the uh, train station. Can you pick her up? I'll be there. Him and I will go to watch uh, Star Wars and fantasy movies together. Politically, uh, I'm a liberal Democrat. He's a right-wing Republican. Uh, and we could not be further apart in terms of our politics. But we get together and, we, like I said, we, we, can, we can deal Uh, We can be friends. We can still do things. One of the problems we're having in politics these days is that kind of relationship isn't happening. If you play diplomacy, you will play a game where John Smith will stab the crap out of you the first day, the first game, and then he will be your bosom buddy in the second game. And you have to learn how not to take game one into game two. And create a self-fulfilling prophecy, and so does he. But that's part of the skills of playing diplomacy. So that tells you a little bit of real-world politics Absolutely. and uh, life.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, it's probably a good point to, to start wrapping things up on because um, I think I think that's one thing that the the political environment definitely needs now is is that ability to move away from that entrenched position on either side and start, as you said, almost like the analogy is what, you know, to reach across the aisle, so to speak, around finding common ground and and, and the example of, you know, just you might be kind of, you know, uh, having uh, political fisticuffs, so to speak, in the verbal arena um, around policy, but, you know, being able to kind of get together outside of that and just, you know... Be human, I think, is is something that's... uh, Right.
2: But also, again, remember the the analogy is that as England, I could want to fight to make sure Germany isn't in Belgium, but both with Germany, I don't... Germany and I can both agree that the Russians shouldn't be in Denmark. So... You know, that yeah. how, the, how, you, how you solve those kind of problems is what you do in diplomacy, and that's what's needed in the real politics. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not familiar with Australian politics these days, uh, but uh, uh, I think it's kind of a universal kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's probably not quite as, well, it's, it's definitely not as um, adversarial. Well,
2: oh, no, no, the, the idea of you don't want it to become so ideologically divisive, Yeah, yeah, The danger for all societies is when that happens. And unfortunately, the United States is at that point. And we saw that on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're very fortunate in that sense that there's, um, you know, obviously a two-party system, left and right. um, But I'd probably be saying in the last 12 months or so, there's been a a very strong amount of consensus, which is... um, Something I think that Again It's it's useful But I, I, I love the analogy Around Denmark um, mm-hmm. I know that, that Kane has got someone Who's operating A jackhammer In the background So he's probably muted And he may have Further questions But um, Otherwise we might have To wrap things up a bit Just for our listeners I think uh, Kane did you want to sure. Jump in at all
2: well, I will uh, say this. I don't know if your audience is mostly uh, down under people or scattered.
1: Oh, no, no. Uh, no. It's been it's about, I'd say probably about um, 80, 85% of our audience are American. So,
2: Oh. Well, guys, come to California. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I had a great time. Every time I've been down to uh, Australia, uh, I've had a good time. I even had a good time when I went to New Zealand a couple of times, although there's a lot more stories in my play in, in New Zealand than it was in Australia. Um, I look forward, I have fun with the Australians and the New Zealanders and they are uh, fun to watch together because they are definitely different peoples and they are they, they play different styles and it is something which I would like everyone to get out of your seats, uh, try to figure out when this pandemic is over. Uh, where do you want to go in the world? Uh, because if there's a diplomacy event there, you've got contacts and friends right there. And in fact, you could probably arrange not to have to stay in a hotel. You could stay on a couch and save yourself a couple hundred dollars a night, and then you can use it to take your guest staff, your host out to dinner and have a real introduction to people around the world. The diplomacy hobby gives you that introduction. The diplomacy hobby gives you that skill that you can walk in to someone who you've never met before. You can have a conversation. You can get involved. You can have a feeling for whether you can trust this person on something specific. There are people in the hobby who I would not trust to support me into Belgium, but I would give them my mortgage payment in cash and ask them to put it in the bank, and I would have no doubt about it. That's the nature of the people in the hobby, and keep that in mind.
1: Totally so wrong. there you go. Someone else has given that analogy once before, but um, yeah, you're 100% correct. It's an old story. It's an old story, All but right? it's a very true one. <laughs> yeah, but I think it was yeah. Baron. Yes, It's yes, kind of pointed out, Baron Von Powell. Um, yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed okay. our conversation today. I think Kana has too, although he can't talk because of the jackhammer. Um, love to have you back on the show at some stage in the future because I think there's still so much more that um, we'd love to be able to explore with you, but uh, sure. yeah, we are limited by time. So, Anytime. Uh, you know the phone number. Yeah, I do now. <laughs> I just need to kind of top yeah. up my credit. Yeah.
2: Awesome. So there Thanks. you
1: go.
0: And we're back. Cheers. Cheers. Well, how about that? I loved hearing about how Calhammer played. I could Don not... Snatcher.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of... When I asked about that, I thought, maybe... And then he kind of went, wow! You know?
0: <laughs> to play
1: with... The, sorry, play with the maker. Yes. I think that's um, kind of like, you know, the C-3PO analogy when he gets to hang out with, you know... <laughs> Anakin Skywalker <laughs> or something, you know? Uh, Eddie,
0: very, um very carefully and diplomatically, mm-hmm. being the player that he is, um, did say, what was it he said? He said, like, many games creators, they're not always the best players of their own game. Yep. Which me <laughs> Yeah. And then he goes on to, he was an invariable dot snatcher.
1: But he's... I don't know if you know, but this is actually on his on his Wikipedia entry. He's a Eddie is actually, like, a creator of games himself. Hmm. So, yes. I wonder how he judges his own game-playing ability in the games he creates, whether
0: he's a a Calhammer or... I'll ask him next time. Mm. Interestingly, Calhammer had no idea there were stalemate lines. Yes. That that was an emergent property of the game.
1: Yeah, it makes you kind of think what playtesting was done on the original uh, rules and maps. Because we know that there was that okay. that that precursor to the diplomacy famously called Realpolitik, which had slightly different territories and things like that. Because remember that was one of the things in the Calhmer Estate.
0: No, yeah, bites. Um, it was just like North Sea, wasn't it?
1: I can't remember. I'd have to go no back and that one.
0: Yeah. yeah. But having um. You know, just channelling my inner cowl hammer in a recent game, there's oh, a free, free supply centre open and despite my normal intentions in a game, because I had a relatively good ally, I just grabbed that supply centre. <laughs> <laughs> and what did your ally say about that? Oh, uh, it's a gunboat. It's one of the um, ah. gunboat games for the world diplomacy on web players. Okay,
1: cool. So, look, if you've um, got any anything you wanted to kind of post around uh, the Cal... Not Cal, no, <laughs> The Eddie Versan interview, um, let us know. Let us know your thoughts on it. We'd love to, love to hear what you think.
0: What else did you get out
1: Oh, I, I really... Uh, I, I've said to you this you know, about a week ago before we did the interview that I really wanted to ask him about his role in real life Government and politics, yep. and to what extent the game helps and hinders. Um, and I think I only really got around to half my questioning, so I'll have to come back to some of that next time. But uh, his explanation was, I think, what shows what good diplomacy players or even great diplomacy players can apply in, you know, the real life context of, you know, politics and government and. Winning yeah, people part. over and knowing that you know your person who is in your face hates your guts, formally on the floor of you know the the chamber, can be the person that kind of hey, ask you to go and pick up their daughter or whatever from the airport. I can't remember what the exact analogy was, but
0: yeah, it was, it was one of something like that. Yeah, yep. yep. No, that was good. I also got a lot out of how he um, spoke about the origins of the Panther. Yes, yeah. Um you know, to hear that it's like a is a, a hidden secret in New York amongst New York players for yeah. a period of time until it's released. Yeah. 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 Um, but that he's only actually successfully done it twice in tournament playing so
1: it makes a lot of sense though, doesn't it? Because like if you if you're playing like in a local club, it's probably less of a thing now with the whole virtual scene and you know, you'll have people attending the Minnesota virtual games from all over the world but like if when or if we eventually go back to having just straight face-to-face games and local teams, you'd, local groups, you think there would be the opportunity where someone would try something one day where you just go, fuck, not only is that fun but it kind of delivers the goods and no one sees that coming that yep. that starts becoming
0: a thing, you know what I mean? It's in the key to panto happened more, or attempted to happen more, so I reckon there's definitely trends. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if ever it'll become a... Um, anyone will pick up on your let's attack Russia as Germany <laughs> <laughs> strategy.
1: Well, unfortunately, it works... Okay. It works fantastic when you have... No one else deciding to then fuck over Germany and they actually stick to the script, and they decide just to wipe out Russia. <laughs> so if Austria and Turkey and England are on board, all, all four of you, no problems at all. Russia is dead in you know a year and a half, two years. If you can get three involved, so as, as Germany or whatever like that, you know, and you make it, you can get Austria and Turkey playing you've got a good chance to kneecap Russia. But only kneecap, because the time that I did that and I had those players helping, Russia was still able to maintain a northern presence with English support. And you couldn't kill it off. Yep. And then eventually, Russia starts coming back. So I probably could have played things a little bit differently on that one. But yes, you're right. Maybe that's going to become a thing. <laughs> the all out, you know, Ostfront assault from Germany against Russia.
0: I guess you really have to have France attacking Italy.
1: Yeah, you need to have France attacking Italy, and you need to have Italy attacking France, and everyone else attacking Russia. Yeah, back. or, yeah, Italy attacking France, or alternatively just doing the usual Tunis thing, and then just kind of not doing anything anti-Austrian or Turkish. France, if, if, if England doesn't play ball with the whole let's attack Russia thing, you need France to be opening against England strongly To get England to start going, fuck, I need to kind of cover myself. So maybe, actually,
0: maybe it's just like... Scrub England out of the equation and just go
1: Germany, Austria, Turkey. No, you can't scrub it. in Germany, Austria, Turkey. No, no, I've done that, and that doesn't work. If you've got, if you haven't got England on board, well, then you don't want France attacking England. Then. No, 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 no. Okay, so let's. Okay, so let's. We're moving away from what we were talking about, but sure. If you've got a Germany, Austria, Turkey alliance saying, "Let's do something wild. Let's kill. Let's." kill Russia. We want him out of the game within two within two game years. Yep. If you can get those three involved, great. If you've got England involved, you're guaranteed Russia will be dead. If England won't play ball in those early discussions or pays lip service, then you need France to be attacking England. So England's focus then becomes, you know, France and not propping up Russia. So what you actually probably need then is to make this work, and it didn't happen this way, so this is probably why it didn't work. You need to have, as part of that Russia-Turkey-Germany alliance, you need to be talking to Italy around, hey, we want you to take Tunis and maybe you do some type of, you know, trickery going on to kind of get him to think what's going on but basically not to attack France so France has the confidence to attack England and you need to all talk to to France about attacking England if England won't play against
0: killing Russia I hear what you're saying but what's in it for Austria? Um, apart from a stronger Turkey Moscow? So, Germany takes Warsaw, Austria takes Moscow, Turkey takes Sebastopol. It
1: leaves leaves
0: Austria in a horrible position.
1: And you ideally set up England to take St. Pete. Look, it's not about... Because everyone... Every child wins a prize in that alliance, okay? Everyone gets one dot. The question is, as you rightfully point out, what happens then once that whole stabilizing force of Russia in the east is gone like that and fragmented into a
0: Russian balkanized situation Well, it's just exporting the Balkans problem into Russia Yes, and in- including an additional player into the mix.
1: So the challenge, I think, is, <laughs> as part of you, the whole, if, if, if you kind of were going into a game, as either Turkey, Austria or Germany, going, okay, I've brought this country, I really want to try the Ostfront, where you just take out Russia.
0: Is that what you call it? The Ostfront? The Ostfront.
1: You need to go in going, okay, if I draw one of these countries, I'm going to try to persuade the place to do this. If they're all on board, fantastic. You also need to go around and make sure that they, maybe they do the talking to Italy, they do the talking to France around what's going on. But then you also need to be then, as hypothetically Germany, working out what the game is after that. So you don't get to a situation where everyone kind of goes, fuck, that worked. We've killed Russia. ...in next to no time, and then they start looking at each other going, "Hmm."
0: Well, right what happens
1: right. next? So you need, you need to be thinking like like a, like a fantastic chess play. You're not, it's not just the turn now, and the turn after that, and the turn after that. It's, you know, five, six turns down the road.
0: Yes. Moving on. Um,
1: I don't know what, what I sent through to you to talk about <laughs> actually what? moving on you're out of the beer I'm out yeah, of the I'm, beer. I'm a beer how about we empty. pause go yep. get some beers we'll work out what's next how many percent is yours? Not sure mine's five something so I'm already starting to get a bit buzzed well, I'm feeling it you are or not? I am yeah I'm feeling it too all right, will pause now. Pause at the top. All right, cheers.
0: And cheers. Oh, fuck, we're back. All right, I'm on the same. I'm having a stout. Oh, that's nice. That's a much better opening. Uh, you've got a Walker IPA, West Coast IPA. I right. almost got you your double Walker IPA. Ooh. Which is, well, that's 7.2%. And this is actually
1: named oh, what, West Coast IPA? Yeah, West Coast.
0: Walker IPA ah. oh no it says you it is yeah and yeah. I was going to get you the red one the um, the double Walker IPA is a joke yes just to, <laughs> so just to get
1: me absolutely <laughs> <It's> zonked <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Walker because it's got Walker Tech this Texas Ranger on it you know the old Chuck Norris That's TV right. show but you got the same no, it's,
0: not, it's not bad it's not bad well, yes, yes it's not a bad opening. It's a standard opening. Standard opening. How's yours? I mean, you said it was a better opening. it's yes, much better. It's much better.
1: Um, not as floral. I think I'll stick to that one. Yeah. Not so tropical. Is that playing? Make sure. Yes, it is yes. going up. And the red, the past, red but button's that? on. Yeah, so all's good. All's good. Talking about all's good. Yeah. Actually, no, I won't all's good. Uh, Let's <laughs> all's bad. So, not all's bad, but... Um, so, we were talking just a little bit off-tape around the fact, actually, before we when we started. I'll get this fucking right soon. So, earlier well, on, no, we were... It made sense. Like okay, so. good. <laughs> yeah, of course it made sense, Turner. We've had one pint each already. Um, so, we, we've now got a situation here where, in, uh, in Brisbane, there is um, a little bit of COVID going around, but not too much. We've had one case of community transmission. Yeah. So, um, but it's like the, um, you know, the... Danger, danger UK variant, but apparently very prolific. Yes. So the government's kind of cracked down. We actually had a three day lockdown where everyone got told, nah, fucking stay home. Can't go anywhere. Can't go anywhere. If you've got to go anywhere, you've got to wear a mask and you've got to have a, a fucking good reason. Yes. Like, like going a to paper. the. Going to. <laughs> go buy beer, which is like one of the few places open is going to the bottle shop to buy alcohol. That's so that's the Australian way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cheers. Yeah. Um, but we're now out of lockdown, but there's still certain conditions. So you know, uh, people are wearing masks. You have to wear masks in certain locations. It's Pretty much the,
0: everywhere it, except for anywhere where you're moving. You can be in a restaurant or at, like us at a brewery. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because like we're we can a, take our mask off because we're sitting down.
1: Yeah, but like when you walk in, you got to. Have, when, when you're outside the brewery, no mask.
0: No, 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 no. no. Mm -hmm.
1: Outside. When you're outside, outside of a building, no mask is needed. Uh The moment you walk in that door, she goes, put on your mask. Okay. So then you've got to do your little QR code, log in, prove out who you are for contact tracing. And then they say, okay, when you take your seat, you can take your mask off. Yes. But when you go to the bar, you'll put your mask back back on. on. And all the staff are wearing masks all the time. So hopefully the virus knows all this to make sure that it knows who to not attack yeah, and everything.
0: Well, here's the thing. Like, as you get more drunk, it's going to get harder and harder. to remember Like, I literally almost forgot to put my mask on on my way up to the bar just then. Yeah. I stopped myself and put the mask on. And that'll get harder as you get more drunk.
1: Yes. Yes,
0: I can see that an issue. Anyway. Yeah, we'll just remind each other.
1: So um, we were trying to organise a, uh, a face-to-face game. We've got some people interested, but I still am a bit worried we're not going to get the numbers up because everyone's still a bit worried at the moment. (laughs) It's just a bit too close to the, yeah, it's not going to happen. We've got, presuming that you come along, it's only four currently. And I don't think there's much point doing a big, you know, signing up for a meetup account to do a big push until... Everyone chills the fuck up. It. So we get under control here in the States. Yeah. And everyone just chills the fuck up and not worries anymore. That being said, we've said it before. We keep seeing the news reports from, you know, Europe and America. And uh, we really feel for you guys because we are truly blessed, stressed, blessed, lucky ass, depending on your um, your view of the world. I feel like we dodge
0: bullets. It does Yeah,
1: it kind of helps the fact that Australia is a physical island that is like hours away from anything so you're able to control the borders a little bit easier Speaking of which, when it comes to borders because also we're very different to say America you know what I mean where we've got all these um, uh borders, the border control and things like that currently because of COVID. So if a certain area is like, you know, persona non grata, you can't kind of come in.
0: So so different states in this country can block people from other states to come into that state.
1: So before this started happening in Queensland about, uh, what, a week ago, a week and a bit ago, we were all good. Everyone loved this. Everyone said, yeah, Queenslanders, you can come down. Now it's a case of, no, fuck off. We don't want to have you up here. Get are yeah. filthy. Actually, Can't no. Anyone within Greater Brisbane, fuck off. Anywhere outside of that, yeah, it's all cool. In much the same way that it's both in Queensland until, well, actually, still current because of the way New South Wales deals with it, anyone in Sydney is like, no, nah, we don't fucking want anyone from Sydney, but anyone else in New South Wales is all cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which kind of brings me to, have you seen the latest slam ad?
0: The latest what?
1: Ad. Lamb. Lamb? No, no I have in the latest. In the Australian Land, land Corporation. Corporation. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, we'll have to create a um, yeah. Yeah. a link here. I might kind of put a link through. I'll put a link to it. Yeah. I'll show it to you next time. When I actually, I'll give it to. I'll show you. You watch it when I'm getting yeah. your beer next time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But basically, the um, uh, yeah. peak body. Let's call it that for lack like of a better word of the lamb producers. Oh, so you know, yeah. Yeah. baby sheep or whatever they're called. Yep. they they put, a, they put an ad out every year in the Raft Australia Day. Oh, yes. And this year's is the, it's like a, an ad set in 2031 where literally we have all these walls between the states and things. It's fucking... I'll let you have a look at it. Our listeners can have a watch of it too. It's always very topical. I like it is. Yeah, yeah.
0: Last year's was very good too. But because of COVID... Um, you and I participated in the Virtual World Cup. Yes, that's the good news I wanted to talk about.
1: And somebody, last year, last year was the ICU, somebody did, um, I think, very, very well. And should be very proud of his efforts.
0: I didn't do too bad. I came 16th in the whole thing. Which basically means that I didn't get eliminated on any of the games I played. Although you told me a perfect What do you mean? Okay, I was going to do four rounds, right? Yeah, and then you gave me the. We did this on on tape. You gave me the the time. But we were drunk. We were drunk then, right? Fuck. A... All four of them. Yeah,
1: that would have meant yep. that you would have been playing like. And a... I
0: signed up on Discord with. Yeah, at I the know, I, but I
1: told you to get out
2: of that
0: one, and I did. I did. It was so like it was going so... to start at like two a.m. in Australia. Yep yep, yep, yep. So the first round I went okay with. Yep. The second round. That I played was fine. That was the correct time that you told me. Yeah. And the third round I was going to play in was the fuck up. Was the fuck up? You gave me an hour late. Yeah. So I missed that one. Yeah. And then. Well, you should have missed that one. That one was like
1: two o'clock in the morning, wasn't no, it? No, that was like. No, that was a like a, a, a six o'clock stuff. Well, we were drinking Cana,
0: and I was particularly drinking. Anyway, so. Here's me and then I sign I, I, I jump onto Discord ready to go like they do the countdowns I'm like well where is everyone <laughs> and I jump
1: onto I, I realised. oh so I, did you actually miss did the game start earlier
0: or had yes. you ah oh. because it gave me the wrong time oh daylight like saving yeah anyway so <laughs> anyway I jump on uh, you know Captain Means there on Discord plus a couple of the other ones the tournament Directors I say you know, did I miss it? that obviously, um, sign up. Yep. And, um, the captain goes, uh, yep, that was an hour ago. I bet you Andy gave you the wrong time. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Fuck!
1: <laughs> well, as usual, Captain Meme, you are 100% correct. As happened. usual. <laughs> um... Yes.
0: Uh, anyway, so, so, but the games had started by then. and, and Actually,
1: uh, I, I love the fact that I've got such a, um, a track record, of poor credibility that everyone knows in advance that it must have been me fucked up. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but okay, look. So I um I played as an alliance player for all the three games that I did. Yep. Um, found an ally early. Found a good ally and stuck with them. And it was a strategy that paid off, okay. Okay. I mean, it didn't put me in the top board or anything, but... No, but like,
1: sixteenth out of how many players? Was it like a hundred and something? I think it was just under a hundred players. I it was over a hundred, I don't know what it was, but yeah. Over a hundred signed up, for the actual player players. Well, you did better than me, so well done. How do you go with the one that you played? Um two. I played two games unfortunately. So I think that held that was a, okay. So oh, look My first game started at about 7 7pm on a, it was the, it was the early round. It was the very first game, okay? Yep. So it started about 7pm on a Friday night here in Brisbane. And as you know, you know, I'm a bit of an old fart. So once it gets to about 9 o'clock it's past my bedtime so <laughs> the problem I had was the game was going strong once the clock hit around about midnight my time so I've been playing for 5 hours and because of the time scale no one from America was there okay? everyone in my game all other 6 players were based in Europe I was the one that was like ten hours in front of them. Or nine hours. Depending on how you count it. So basically it's like it's like playing a game. Like imagine if you are playing a game at, I don't know, midday. You kind of got you've got no problems with getting fucking tired as opposed to this clown in Australia who's been fucking drinking at night, playing his game, and now not only is he excessively tired, he's also half drunk. <laughs> so, I had to pull out, and fortunately, I had somebody who subbed for me. Um, didn't work out as well as I wanted, but I technically survived, so I got some points. My second game, I did better, I
2: think.
0: I think it did better? I don't, tell me. I don't know, I can't remember. I'll have to go back and have a look at them and backstabber. I was just trying to go back on backstabber um, have a look at my ones I played, I think. I pulled France first up and worked with Germany to eliminate Italy and uh, in- England and then um, worked with Germany and Russia to prevent a Turkey Austria solo oh, team okay. uh, the second game I pulled Germany, who I normally do shit out at, um, allied with France. I've got to go back and have a look at these now. Can I just pause this so I can pause this up? Yeah, sure. The second game I teamed up with France um, and held off a Turkey-Russia Turkey, Russia, so a four-way draw, and the final game I pulled Turkey and allied with Austria, almost killed Russia, almost killed um, Italy, but it wasn't. It ended up in a seven-way draw.
1: Yeah.
0: Nice. But, you know, because of the way it's structured, we ended up with quite a few points.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, my second game, I ended up being part of a four way draw where I was only one supply centre. Okay, but you get points. Please. Which was in 1910, I think. One supply centre? Maybe two supply centres. And um, so it went to like 1910. It was only like about another year, game year off from being kind of force drawn anyway. Yeah. But I inverted the trouble I was having the previous game to my advantage. So. This game was started around about I don't know eight o'clock in the morning Australia time.
0: Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> so by like about two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, I was still Rory ready to go, and all and everyone else at the game were Americans and they're like falling asleep and everything like that.
0: <laughs> and I
1: kind of went, oh look, you know, you got you three guys, you clearly are, you know, the superior players here, but. Are you really going to keep hanging out this for another round to knock me out? And based on the scoring system, whoever takes my one supply center, it's going to make negligible impact. How about we just about wrap this one up? And because of those three players that were in it, two of them had been my long-term allies who like stabbed me, which I was. I'll talk about this now. Once we got to about 900, we, we had I was Russia and Uh I was allying with Austria and Turkey and that held so well I couldn't believe it and I actually kind of thought, I started believing my own inner talk, my own inner hype which is like, you know, hey, Care Bear stuff, we're actually going to go, all three of us, we're going to go all the way All the way And then of course there was this devastating round where literally about 907, 908, the knives just went, you know what I mean and all of these really top players were just going <laughs> and just stabbing like crazy, just <laughs> obliterating everybody else.
0: <laughs> Poor little Aussie. Poor little Aussie. So, in the middle.
1: I was lucky enough to survive, but like, this was a game that like, France was out of the game within about two game years. Yeah. England and Italy decided just to crush it, you know what I mean? And as, as Russia, I was just all over the place, I was just helping out where I could and was exposed in the middle. So, uh, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I was then being attacked by England. And this is one thing I'm, I'm really conscious about my game. You know, I end up throwing units into an area where if I'm being attacked by player A, but only player A, I'll try to move all my stuff in to try to create a wall to stop that player. Yeah. But in doing so, put a large amount of trust in my fellow allies who, of course, abuse that trust
0: that's the nature of the game
1: which is the nature of the game but I do want to kind of um, you know acknowledge the great work that was done there I can't remember their real names because I can only see their names in Backstabber which doesn't really help anyway I'm sure if you kind of the game was the um, uh, what game was it I can't even tell that info it was round two of the w- virtual WDC, um, the A game, Alexandria. Anyway. It was a good game. It was a really fun game. I was surprised how much fun it was.
0: Actually, I just want to talk about the actual format of the, you know, doing it all through Discord and oh, shit. like it? Uh, I had a lot of fun going, doing the, the, the tournament like that. Having yeah, I mean, an online.
1: Oh, because this was your first, that was my first
0: virtual line. game. Yeah, it was, yeah.
1: Oh!
0: Um, I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, too. yeah. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, what
1: troubles? Did you have any difficulties with the, the way things were structured or organized at all?
0: Yeah, I had two problems. The first problem I had was that my computer wouldn't let me use distance. Yep. So I had to use my. Phone for discords, but use the computer for backstabbing. Yep, the backstabbing so I found that was an interesting balance, um, but I couldn't just click into different forms. Yeah, with I do my uh, phone. Yeah, yes. I,
1: I, I find that quite confusing too. Yeah, yeah that was
0: a bit difficult. Yeah, was just being able to click with a mouse folder on your laptop. Yep. So that was uh, one issue. Um, the second problem I had was that if you uninitiated it, trying to understand the process to actually do this was quite difficult to do beforehand. But it was really logical as it was happening to get into a game in that process yeah, yep, yep. Um, that was my only kind of criticism around that but I can't really call that criticism it's just get in there and it become plain don't try and understand how it all works prior it's it probably the advice I'll give to something like that I
1: agree it's been about two or three months since I'd previously played a game and I found the trying to remember how everything fucking works was yeah. was a bit of a gotcha um, to the extent that I think in my first game, I, because I don't use backstabber very often, I fucked up twice with supporting wrong units. So sometimes yeah, I, I, so twice I accidentally supported an enemy unit to attack another one of my units instead of supporting my unit to attack the enemy unit. Yeah. Um, and I also similarly had issues with backstabber, which I think has got nothing to do with the interface, it's got more to do with the fact that when you're not regularly using that I not say regularly maybe if you're playing a game once a month you kind of get into the rhythm and
0: you know what the fuck to do that can be an issue I okay. don't like with Backstabber how it doesn't automatically show you the moves that were made you have to manually the yeah, adjudicate yeah, yeah. then you have to go back to see how those moves yeah, were adjudicated yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just a minor grime but the, um, the,
1: the one good thing I suppose about Backstabber is that it is that one universal platform I think that everyone is no one's really really super comfortable maybe some are super comfortable with it but most players whether they're coming from play dip web dip v dip face to face games they all kind of just get by enough you know what I mean get it enough it's agnostic enough that everyone can just kind of work out roughly what to do same with Discord
0: after a while I think Backstabber hasn't really got its own forum community do you think? it's great Mm, I don't know We've talked to them before.
1: Uh, the one thing I had with difficulty with with uh, the Discord thing, unlike yourself on a Samsung, I've got an iPhone. But the um, the newer iPhones have this like you charge through like a mini USB port. Yeah. And you also listen with your earphones through the same mini USB port if you kind of got like a um, a wired headset. Okay. Oh right. Yeah. Which means I previously had a problem two or three games ago, where the phone was running out of batteries, and I had to use that because the laptop wasn't talking properly with my communication, yep. with Discord, and of course I can't, ru- I can't charge the phone because I'm trying to talk to it through my earphones. Since then I've got AirPods, which are like little things that pop in your ears like Wi-Fi things. That
0: runs on Bluetooth. Right? Runs
1: on Bluetooth, But the trouble with those is after maybe a couple of hours or three hours, it depletes all the battery inside the AirPod. Just need two AirPods. So someone in the game, I can't remember who, so my apologies, I can't give you credit, had the great suggestion of saying, well, just use one in your ear
2: to keep the other one charged. And it worked fine, you know what I mean? Like, you
1: don't get to talk to people in stereo. But you can hear them, they can hear you, and once this one starts going, we're running out of batteries, you put this one in, put that one in for a charge. So it's a great thing to do if you're stuck in that space.
0: Clever.
1: But would you play another virtual game? I would. I would too, I'm enjoying them. I'm enjoying them a lot.
0: I'd love to see robots.
1: I'd love to see robots too. How's, actually I can tell you right now, the, uh, the Patreon <laughs> fee's not going pay for robots too quickly, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, again, congratulations, Kana. Very impressed, very, um... Had a lot of fun with
0: it. Yeah, actually. Um, my allies who I allied with... The allies who I allied with, um... So, in the first one, Germany. Um, I had a blast working with him. Who are you? As France. Right. Eliminated England quick. With him. Um so that was, that was really good and uh, the second one where I allied with um, France I, I was playing Germany right again, again same thing because same thing. Um, I was watching really one of your alliance, games so was really when
1: I, was, I think maybe it was the round two game when I was playing I was watching yep. your game I flicked over to have a look at it and I thought maybe I was, maybe I was watching the live stream coming from the diplomacy broadcast network and went fuck can is on fire, nah. and then I flipped over to watch the real thing, and I was I was really going. You were doing great. You got to what about how many ESCs at one point? Was it
0: twelve or something like that? Uh, something like that. You um,
1: were kicking yeah. goals, and then of course everyone starts
0: you know grabbing you and tearing you tearing, down. Okay. Um, and the final one where I, I was Turkey and um, I allied with Austria. Um, that was the one where I probably passed up a really good shot of a solo um, but happy to have stuck with it through to the end with Austria. Um, I probably could have stabbed him at one point yep. and actually done really well for myself um, but I was happy with the results actually as they speak so.
1: I think the one thing that, that
0: really spoke to
1: me in this tournament and happens in all tournaments is you usually have a, a predefined ending time and that really changes the dynamic as you approach that ending time where someone who's been your mate the whole, the whole game all of a sudden just goes and just stabs you when you kind of don't expect it because the clock's ticking and if they don't do it now they never will and they won't benefit from it as opposed to, say, one of these um, online games that can sometimes go for, what, months and months and years and years, where that pressure, time-based constraint doesn't create that gameplay. So, you know, it's kind of, I think, what we talk about with Eddie, you know what I mean? There's different game, different players, like different game styles, and they
0: gravitate towards that appropriately. I won't say I'm always a loyal player, but I definitely approached this tournament as a loyal player. It worked for you. Yeah, I did okay.
1: Yeah, I survived, but, you know, didn't exactly do very well as a result of that. But anyway,
0: hey, okay. Congratulations. That's not the only tournament we're involved with. We're also involved with um, Web Diplomacy. Oh, yes, what's it called? The Web
1: Diplomacy... 2020... 2020... 2020 tournament? tournament. And that's the... Well... Um, We've got teams based locally, so we're... The Diplomacy Sausages. No, the Democracy Sausages. Democracy Sausages. So basically
0: um, players within uh, Brisbane and Greater Brisbane. Yes. Um, I'm doing reasonably well in my gunboat.
1: Oh, are you? Yeah. I'm
0: coming in first
1: at this stage. Whoa! Great!
0: So, um...
1: Can we give all of our gunboat games to you? Because it wasn't Bob McBob couldn't make one game and you had to kind of step in for him. minute. i am. Oh,
0: playing two gunboat games at this stage. Yeah. Good on you. Yep, taking one for the team. And I've got a one versus one that I've yet to make and sign up or whatever. Yeah. So this is an anonymous game, so we can't go into any
1: real detail. I'm playing one game, which is a full press game. Mm. Anonymous? It's all anonymous. So I'm this player here. Yeah. It's about 904. And there's lots going on. Yeah. So yeah, I um see. Yep. whilst I'm there there's lots of opportunity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So things have kind of switched in my game where there were two particular players that were allied quite strongly and were creating all sorts of problems for me. But then at the same time that one of them kind of turned on them, another one player turned on him. Yeah, so ouch. it's like a really it's like all this early stabbings occurred across the board. This player's about to die, I think, for not too much time. This one's not doing too well either.
0: Yes. Yes, 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 I can see that. So at this stage they're all everyone's still in the game.
1: Yep. I must say I find this game, as well as that virtual diplomacy, virtual WDC game, the the caliber of the players really good. You know what I mean? Not saying our friends over at VDIP that we normally play about are um, you know schmucks because they're not at all. Believe me, they're not at all the way they fucking keep doing me over. But I was really impressed with the way that both of those tournaments, the way people... Because I'm actually having that interaction with public press. Yeah. How they're approaching it, how they're talking about things. And I must admit, I've actually been drawing upon that um, thing that we learned in that, that interview about line, around that whole concept about talking about the future, talking about not just this turn, but the turn after that, and then the turn after that. I'm finding that is actually working a little bit better in the sense that people are generally buying what I'm selling.
0: And to keep that sale of the future. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're, and getting them to talk about in kind about that, you know what I mean? Because you don't want to be talking about the future and then they go, yeah, 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 all good. And then, stab. stab. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this is um, the one I'm doing. too bad in. Um, me there oh right okay um, that's the dot I took just because I was yep. listening to Calhammer. Um, but I think it's worked out okay is this, this isn't the one
1: you're coming first on is it it is I am that's not that great what year is it where is he
0: 905. Oh, no
1: follow. oh okay sure sorry sorry the <laughs> beer as well and truly kicking in. This is, uh, uh Ambie's going to have a problem with the uh, weight tomorrow as a result. Um, this play's doing pretty good. Except. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh. That's got to hurt. It turns out everyone's just. But then he's <laughs> over here too. Everyone's sort of turning on each other. Oh,
1: this is a great game. I wish we could talk about this game, Kayla. This is fun. This is a fun game. Is it fun <laughs> it's playing? A it? Fun one, yeah. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so, how do you find like you're you you're pretty good at gun? Well, not pretty good. You are a good enough player. You hold your own in gunboat, don't you? Yeah, I hold my
0: own. Yeah. How do you
1: find <laughs> gunboat versus the, the whole? You know, at least having that interaction. What do you, what do you naturally prefer?
0: I'm actually doing better with gunboat at the moment than I am in full press games online. Right. Um, That's right, because you were talking about just going to gunboat games most times now. Yeah, I've got one full press game going on at the moment. But I'm just not looking, not looking at the press. Really not, yeah. It's like, nah, I'm not, not looking
1: at that. Oh, yeah. um, oh, I think I know that game. You know I'm that in game, that
0: game, yeah. um, but I don't know who you are. Uh, okay, so the difference between gunboat and full press. Um, look for. Where I am with what I can commit to a game, gunboat is for me uh, a way to properly a way to commit to a game without letting down the other players for lack of engagement in that game. Yep, yep, Um, How do I find that mode? I, I enjoy that mode when I'm playing against good players who understand what demilitarising looks like or who understand what a support hold being thrown your way means or who actually are looking at that big map so they're seeing what moves were actually put in but were shown so they're checking up on them and you can tell players if you make it past that first sort of Period of time in the game who actually know what to look for in a gunboat game. They're the enjoyable players to play. With. Look, it's those twits. No, not twits. It's those um, the inexperienced gunboat player who who just praise alliances or don't even bother trying to look. For opportunities to make an alliance in a gunboat game. Yeah, okay, okay. Alliances in gunboat games can be really, really, really fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's my take. On it. Mm. More so than a full press.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good advice. So um, you're out of a beer. I'm out of a beer. I'm kind of thinking we've got two options. Yeah. We can either make this just like a really long episode. And do it around the grounds and then we'll do a patreon and then we'll put a bow on it or we wrap it up now we record another episode which is a bit of a late around the grounds and then we finish off our juggernaut game and then we do a patreon episode or two after that
0: what about just doing part one part two i mean part one part two so we just keep on with the same episode it doesn't really but work that way, like, technically. And then just go part two. So this is part one, and so, then you can so, release so part two in a week's time. No, 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 it doesn't work so, that way. The
1: release schedule's every two weeks, except the last two weeks ago, because
0: you were on holidays, and before that, I was on holidays, we can not fucking get Like there's an I understand the what you're saying, but that's not the way it works. Why can't we do the around the grounds and the Juggernaut game? Call that part two. Because of this iTunes episode. and others like steady,
1: yeah, regular yeah. rhythms to be followed for when you drop episodes. And if you don't, if you deviate from that shit, they go. We've got no fucking idea what this podcast is about, and you know, they're just plans They just drop shit all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to push them down the rankings, but so people and aren't going to find
0: is what we do. We just continue on this episode but we split it here and then release the second half of the episode in two weeks and what will be on that second half of the episode Connor? around the round the grounds and the juggernaut game.
1: or we can just leave that out instead of one week you mean two weeks
0: yeah that's what I'm saying two weeks that's what I said in two weeks time <laughs> oh I can
1: okay yes I agree yes I'm good with that um, listeners, please join us in two weeks' time where, based on our current way that we're kind of half drunk already, like, I'm getting really... You should really get two
0: double No, RPOs. I'm not fucking getting that. One no, wait. Open, no. Go well, on. And just no, struggle no. Through no! That's it. You know, one double IPA each and then we can finish this game. No, 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 no. The, let's, let's just, let's, let's wrap things
1: up now. <laughs> um... Okay. And <laughs> continue on in a in a session soon. See you in 2 weeks guys. Bye bye.